0: Yo, what's good people? Back again for another episode of Over The Bridge Podcast. It's Quirk who's speaking. We've got the rest of the man. We've got a full cast today, which is lovely. You mm-hmm. have got allowing in the building, Patrick in the building, Tom in the building, how are you guys doing?
1: Yeah, yeah, all good, all good. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'm good as well. Sunday
2: How's morning. Tom doing out in Geneva? I'm blessed, man, it's, it's, it's lovely out here, man. Um, well, for, for most, most, most of the time anyway, it's lovely. Um, just been up in the it's <laughs> been up in the mountains actually so um i went to a place called interlaken last week i think i should i sent you man some pictures just just mad the mountains bruv so beautiful the man. scenes were crazy yeah oh, that picture unbelievable scenes unbelievable i didn't i couldn't believe that it wasn't a filter bro bro i'm telling you it's it's crispy out here man it's so and it's so clean
1: You know on Instagram where you have that picture with there's like a girl like holding somebody's hand and like taking them somewhere. It looked like one of them (laughs) photos. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's
2: good, man. And then just getting into hikes and all that and yeah, just enjoying myself out here, man. It's 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 very it's very peaceful out here for the most part, you know. So it's been it's been good. But obviously
0: nice to be back with you, man, and all that. So
2: you know, yeah.
0: Nah, sick, sick, sick. How's your guys' week been for Patchett? Apache? It's flown by, man. It's
1: just been, yeah, it's been just a busy week at work. Busy week outside of work. But, yeah, um, nice busy, you know, like, like, not a slug. So, I'm I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I'm cushy.
0: That was, that was a low-key cryptic answer. Like, you said a lot without saying that much. That's just me, to be honest, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sticking on you. That's, that's, uh, yeah. that's, how, that's how we tend to think. I think that's a British thing yourself.
1: I know, I know. We don't really... um like we say oh how are you doing yeah not too bad like I'm just I'm just hearing it kind of thing it's not Yeah. Like you don't really go but no like I had a good week I had a good week it was busy like um yeah
0: that's it really <laughs> <laughs> <Calm>. <laughs> all right come all right so we are joined today actually with a very special guest um I'll let him introduce himself shortly but He's here to talk about his book and just like like we were saying before we started recording, have a general chat with the lads. Um, so um, yeah, glad to have Caleb Femi here with us. Thank you. Caleb, how are you doing?
3: I'm chilling, man. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. I'm just out here, man. Thanks Love for you. having me.
0: No, nah, man, we were we really guessed. We got, um obviously, Annabelle reached out to us initially.
3: Yeah.
0: And um, we've done stuff like, I think she was representing Jason Reynolds as well. Yeah. Um, and this is my what was that like season two I mean like not too long after we actually started yeah I think it was
1: um, yeah coming up to a couple of years ago now it was yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah,
1: like Christmas 2018 yeah,
0: yeah. a little while so, like, yeah. as soon as she hollered like okay sick. So and obviously yeah. I, I know you've got like a lot of mutual friends and what have you so I guess to get you to, to join
3: us yeah, yeah man I I, uh, I told her like this was this was one of the first podcasts that I wanted to do like just you lot you lost one. Yeah. Oh, that's love, man. Appreciate that. Blessings,
2: one. man. Blessings.
3: Alright,
0: cool. So just to kick off, like this this is funny because um we got the book maybe was it earlier this week? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um I've been going through it bit by bit, just trying to fit in between work and everything. And um bro, you touch on so many themes. Like I just I was just there, like everything hit as far as like stuff that like a lot of the poems themselves actually align with episodes you've had on the podcast mm, mm. you know because you touch on stuff like gentrification you touch on that um police uh harassment and what have you and mm. these are things like even recently we had um a black police officer and we t- touched on some of those themes and stuff so mm. um yeah really excited to kind of go through some of those and um i know the rest of the guys have loads of questions as well so we're probably going to be fighting to get them out but <laughs> i'm going to kick off with mine if everyone's cool with that mm. yeah yeah got you all right cool so one thing that really stuck out when i was reading um paul right was like you have like it's very use language that is very much for the ends like it's very much for who you're talking um about
3: yeah
0: and um one thing that stuck out to me is because i know as far as like your career Mm. you came from a very like You've been in very high places within the, the poetry scene in it. I think that's fair to say.
3: Yeah. No, you're trying to put me in a trap to, 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 you get, man, man has to keep it humble. You get me? <laughs> no, no,
0: no. It's <laughs> time to talk your shit, that's bro. You've, you've done a lot. You've done a lot, bro. But...
3: A little bit. Swore a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: do you know what? Okay. Do you know what? Let me. It's not a trap, trust me. I'm no, it's not. No, no, not that it's a
3: trap, but you know, it feels awkward sometimes. To, <laughs> to, to like, yeah. Yeah, because as much as those spaces are, are like, you know, it's, it's good to be in those spaces because people like us need to be in those spaces because mm. um, there aren't many of us in those spaces. I don't really, like for me, it's it's never the thing that I feel like I can really talk about with my chest and be like, yeah, this thing happened and I've done this this thing or or mm. been in this place. Um so it feels always awkward. I don't know. I always like feel a bit tense whether to like you know um I don't know man. I don't know. I don't know.
0: You're just a humble brother, that's what it is. boils <laughs> down to that. Um but yeah obviously you know like I said you've 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 done a um a lot within the poetry space. And I just wanted to get a bit of background just on your upbringing. You touching it obviously a lot in the the book itself, but like mm. just from your words like where did you grow up? Like what's your your kind of come up story?
3: Yeah. Alright, so I was born in Nigeria. Um I came to this country when I was 7. I uh, lived in Peckham, North Peckham estate, which was like just the craziest estate. It was an estate that's like so big yeah, that mm-hmm. you I don't know if anyone's ever ever got to see peckham estate or be on peckham estate it's like um it's like lots of estates connected by cor- like corridors these like walkways mm. and then on the estate they've, you've got like shops like laundrettes corner shops all of that kind of stuff so it's like a, a mega estate where there's like over two thousand people living on it you can go from like one side of the of the estate and walk for two miles to the other side of the estate, and you're still—you don't need to come outside to do that. You just like walk from one corridor to the other. Mm. So, so it was like the like when you're like seven years old, ten years old, whatever. It's your imagination can run wild. It's like living on like a international space station or something. <laughs> you know I mean? It's like its own little mini city. Yeah, you don't ever like step out. I don't ever think I ever went to West End when I was young. Yeah, because mm. I never like even to go to like, I don't know, another ends was just unheard of because everything I needed was on my state. Um, mm-hmm. and then, so I grew up there and then, uh, I moved, I moved all over. When I was about 17, 18, I moved out on my own. I, I lived in like seven different places in, in the city, which was nice. Cause I, I feel like I was sheltered from all of that. Um, from just knowing what London was like, London, London. I don't think I ever even went on the tube. No, lie. like, mm-hmm. wow. But, um, and then after, so then I went to, I went to, um, I went to uni. I went to uni late. I went to uni when I was like twenty, twenty-one. Before that, I was there's like a little gap of four years. I got, I um, when I was in school, I I got all my GCSEs by year nine um what I got all the relevant GCSEs by year nine so by year 10 it was like I don't really know what I'm in school for but obviously I'm growing up on the ends as well so growing up on the ends it's like when you've got no motivation to kind of be in school Mm. and you're living in a poor environment like I grew up in a one-bedroom house with like seven of us in there so Mm, mm. if any opportunity to like try and change my situation and take take Matters into my own hands. Uh, I was very much for for that, and very very much indulgent in everything that comes in. Growing up in in Peckham, yeah, yeah. If you know what I mean. and then and then um yeah, and then so there's that that four year gap that's like man that was on road in it, and mm. then at twenty I went back to uh, actually at eighteen I went back to to do my A levels and then went to uni. And then after uni, I said, what do I wanna do with my life? I wanna be a teacher. I felt like I I wanted to be a teacher because everything that led up to me being able to do my GCSEs by the time I was like, what, like 14, 15, have all of them done, dusted, was because of the teachers who I had, who saw the potential in me. But I was the same bad breed as all my other friends. There was no difference. Between me and them, if anything, most of the time, like, I'm the one who's coming up with the silly ideas to do dumb stuff. So I'm like, wait, hold on. How is it that I've been able to find a second way of, like, re like, putting my life on a different track? But, mm-hmm. Like, all my other friends who were like, actually, I can't do that. So man has to stay in the situation that I'm in. The, the Like, some of them end up going jail. Some of them end up dying, all of that. I was like, all right, cool. The only difference between me and them is that I just had teachers who saw potential in me, mm-hmm. and they didn't. They were in a different set, so their teachers didn't really care. So, so I wanted to be a teacher. So I went to to I went into teaching. I, like the first day of going into a classroom, I thought it was going to be like. You know Dead poet Society. You know that film. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, like, you're like, or, like or something. Yeah, I thought I was gonna be. You get me? Step, step in there and just like give them some tough love. love. Me. Trust me, but it wasn't like that. And I really deeped how. Like, I taught in a school in Tottenham. I taught in Gladesmore.
1: Oh, in Gladesmore. Are oh, you not Gladesmore? Yeah, yeah. I used to live in Tottenham.
3: I swear to Yeah,
1: yeah. Where did you go? I, oh, no. I, so I didn't grow up in Tottenham, but I used to... Oh, you used to yeah, live in Tottenham? Yeah, yeah. A couple, for a couple of years after that. No. So I, I moved abroad. And when I came back from abroad, I lived in like Seven Sisters. But um, yeah. Actually, to be fair, like in my childhood, I spent a lot of time in Tottenham because my family's from there as well, so...
3: Yeah. Wow. I like, yeah. I like Tottenham a lot. It reminds me of Peckham. Yeah, it
1: is very similar, actually. It's, yeah. it's
0: like Peckham, but with Guardians instead of Nigerian yeah. spaces. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, didn't,
2: didn't Chip go to Gladesmore or something like that?
3: Yeah, Chip went to yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. That's where he recorded Chip Diddy Tip, if you remember yeah. the video, when he was starting, you know, years ago. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Ironically, I think one of the classrooms ended up being mine, you know. Oh, is it? yeah I think so I have to double check that but in my head i've I've convinced myself that yeah 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 so, that's it yeah so yeah after after teaching mm. um i mean when i when I started teaching, I just realized how racist the curriculum was mm, mm. and how much that although my presence was was like doing something like a black english teacher able to like understand the you know the systematic issues behind the curriculum and therefore like tried to like teach in a way that amends that or that like, bombs that a little bit mm-hmm. it was still like I, these these kids still need to pass their GCSEs yeah. so regardless of what I say in the classroom during term time when it comes to revision time I still have to like reinforce uh those like unhelpful uh ways of learning that were damaging especially to the black kids and, mm-hmm. and that. I was just like no I can't I can't do this So it's like like their sort of imagination,
1: I suppose, because I I did English Lit as well Mm. A-level and it's like, well, I remember the difference between GCSE and A-level is like with A-level, you can really kind of, you know, talk, develop your own ideas. Mm. With with GCSE, it is very much about like kind of almost parroting what you've been sort of told already. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I
2: remember them, I was gonna say when I when I did my GCSEs there was some you know that that an essay you had to write or some creative story you had to write.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: I was just writing, I was just writing some weird form of poetry mainly because I had no time. So I was just putting commas all over the place and just writing in a, It was looking like a four four two football that, that <laughs> in the yeah? so and it was basically my own form of creative writing. It wasn't. I was basically running out of time, but I was just I was I just thought. I, I prayed in the exam, I said, look, God, I'm running out of time. Unfortunately, you know, I'm just going to write and imagine if I was, or not, just try to imagine if I was God, how would I write like, and you wouldn't write like a normal person. So I just tried to write and just all through a bit like, a bit, almost a bit like the structure of what we've seen in some of your, your, your poems, Caleb, just everything all over the place, apostrophes, mm-hmm. nothing wrong. So what happened was, and this goes to your point, Patrick, that because it was sort of just deemed to be like, just, out of the canon or out of the way things should be, you know, written about. It actually went up to the chief examiner of AQA. And oh, they said. Wow we can't mark this because I just don't know how to assess this. Anyway, thank God. Anyway, I got A star because the chief examiner was like, this is a really good exploration of Jeez. post-modernistic English. And I was like, "No, nah, <laughs> this is my bullshit. My but fresh, but, you know, it was mad. And my English teacher who was, she was black and she was like, I don't actually, she's like, I know what you did. You weren't trying to do anything, but you know, somehow it was appreciated, in not it? So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is mad, but
2: I actually, I just want to ask you, um, real quick, just like, just because you spoke about doing GCSEs really early in that. Did you have any um, black teachers of your own yourself when you, when you were in school?
3: Um, I had, all right, so I went to a really, 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 like when I tell people about my school, it, it sounds like I'm just talking about a dream or something. So in my school, the the black teachers, there were, were few and far between. I had like a sick, Mr. Edwards was like a PE teacher. He was calm. There was like an art teacher, th- which was like super grumpy, but cool. But um, generally, I don't know. It, the school was very, very black. So the presence of like blackness was always around me in terms of the student body, but not necessarily the the, the teachers had like mm. a black head of year, but he was he was a bit coonish in that way, so <laughs> <laughs> I never really got to embrace or or experience like that black teacher that's just like understandable, like very understanding of like your blackness and sees mm-hmm. beyond or the, the the racist like projections of of your emotions. Like, is this child hungry or is this child just aggressive? No, this child is hungry. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know those differences that when
0: yeah yeah um I kind of like just to backtrack a little bit because there was a question initially I wanted to ask but then I wanted to get the context of your like, upbringing and stuff but when I was reading through Paul like mm-hmm. I said there's there's so many there's a lot of like colloquialism slang etc that you kind of have to be from ends or at least that like, be in and around mm-hmm. certain people to understand right yeah and I was thinking because you did become prominent in a very kind of mainstream poetry world as well. Um, I'm just thinking, I'm reading through it sometimes, and I'm thinking, raw like, there's going to be a lot of, like, middle-class white women going on Urban Dictionary trying to f- work out what a batty <laughs> is or what, like, get me. <laughs> oh, so the question I had was, like, yeah. what, what did you kind of – did you have that in mind? Or was it like, okay, I'm just writing it for my people? Or did you think about the fact that certain – elements of your audience are going to kind of be alienated in that way
3: yeah do you know what I I definitely thought about that for for a minute um whether I should have like a glossary to break down the terms or whether I should you know scale back on 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 just like the way that we talk on ends but I thought to myself when I was growing up there was nothing that aided me in order to access middle class speech, middle class language it mm. was laden when you're reading like WB. Yeats, T.S. Eliot, you're mm. reading like all these people that have that use this language that often excludes people like us mm. um, and not not in terms of our, our ability to comprehend it, but in terms of how we like to speak and also what it's saying about who this is for and also mm. what poetry, and art in general, is what language it comes in and therefore who it belongs to. Um, and in order for you to be able to be seen as a, a poet, a good poet, or for something to be qualified as, as poetry, it mm. has to adopt the language of white middle-classness. And mm-hmm. I wanted to to fight that. Um, because I think at the end of the day, poetry, poetry is about... Um, the individual's perspective of the world, um, and trying to share that with, um, with the world and find a community that can, um, that can relate to that. Right. So if I'm talking about, if, if the poet, if, if the collection I'm writing is centered around growing up, um, on ends, then naturally the language has to then shape that and reflect that. Otherwise it's, it's it's terrible it's a cop-out it's an insult to the community that you you come from as well what 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 does it mean does it mean that like because you're not because you're scaling back on on that then you're reducing Mm. uh yourself you're reducing the the i don't know the value Mm. of where Mm you've come from or something so for me I, i i thought look if you don't have access to the language, if you don't have, if you don't understand it, if you don't get it, then work hard and find a way to get it. You mm, know what I mean? mm, mm. That's what we, we had to did. do when exactly. we, exactly. <laughs> when we were revising and, and thinking about all those things, we had to understand what all these things mean. We did the work. So mm-hmm. you go do the work. And if you don't get it, it's fine. It's cool. You don't have to get everything. Mm. <laughs> you know I,
1: mean? I, love that. I love that and I think the um the other thing about um your work um poor is that it's it's very visual um and I guess that's what poetry should be like you know it should um it should be it should paint a picture um and um there's a quote from um I think it's yeah an I- Irish playwright um from um one of his plays it's called translations um, I think it's Brian Friel. he says that um Language maps a culture, so like if you there's certain things, there's certain um, vocabulary that will only you, you you can only use that vocabulary to accurately depict your environment or your or your culture. So yeah, I think that that is so important in the way that you've like the, the way that it's come across um, in your work is that it feels so authentic that it's like you can you can see it, you can feel it, you can like some Scenario is almost like smell it do you know what I mean like the the
3: um the way that you've depicted it is very very true and authentic so um yeah man thank you man appreciate it I feel I feel like that's needed though Mm -hmm. um I, I like if we're going to talk about this right and if we're if we're going to one of my biggest right when writing this one of my biggest things was that I don't want people from ends to read this and feel like that's not how it is. Or Mm. like, do you know what I mean? There has to be a sense of like authenticism in it. Mm. And those choices have to like, those choices have to be made in order to, to, for me, the the biggest thing was that this is, there's an approval from the only approval from anyone that I'm seeking is from people from ends. And the Mm. biggest letdown would be to write something that doesn't feel uh, like something you've experienced before or something yeah. that like feels very tangible to, to your past experiences mm-hmm. or your current experience.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you were during the writing process, did you ever sort of um, get like a kind of uh, sense check or like run it by people that were close to you to, to be like, do you know what, does this, does this sound like what it is I'm talking about? Does it sound authentic or do I need to go back and, revise this? Did you sort of reach out to anybody for that or did you just kind of trust your own your own experiences and your own judgment?
3: Um, Some of the poems uh, I sent to just just sent to my friends Mm. and uh, most of my friends aren't really like my friends from ends anyway Mm. aren't really into poetry quote-unquote in that way so it's kind of lost on them sometimes because um, they'll rather chat to me about something else so I don't ever want to, like they've come from a system that has naturally made them tense up when you talk about poetry mm. because in their experience, it's these dead white men <laughs> mm. um, and they they engaged with it in the structure of school mm. and that, caused, that has caused small traumas t- to the entry point of like getting them to naturally want to be into poetry, mm. but when I say that from ends, I mean ends, ends, ends. I mean like my my man them that I can't ever like. They don't even have Instagram. <laughs> Do you mm. know what I mean? Mm. You know them ones. Mm. Um. So so with but they appreciate they appreciate it for for what's like for what they've heard or for what they've like read. They've appreciated it, mm. and that has sort of given me the the impetus to to go on and just try and and see see what i can do with Mm -hmm. it really Mm -hmm. i think a lot of the time a good indicator is when when my editor from penguin was reading it and Mm -hmm. he had to ask me questions Mm -hmm. because he didn't understand then i kind of knew i was on the right track
1: Mm
3: -hmm. if if he was if it was too accessible to him then (laughs) it's time for me to go back and and, and
1: yeah i hear that i hear that um that's really interesting
3: i think you you made
1: you, you highlighted some really interesting um points about kind of how um i guess poetry and then beyond that art itself is it's kind of a—it it is made inaccessible um by i guess like physical space but also kind of like uh i suppose like an intellectual space as well like mm. um like you said like your 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 friends from ends like they're not then they're they're, they're they're sort of relationship to poetry has been affected by how um you know they've been socialized to understand what poetry who who poetry is for and who yeah and who kind of accesses it as a second 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 class citizen um and I think in the same way when it comes to like theater art galleries it's like it's 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 a funny thing like when you are you know a black male and you go into those spaces it's very easy to feel like you know that you shouldn't be there like it's not, yeah. like, It's not even kind of explicitly said like this place isn't for you, but you just know by what's there, like yeah. you go in there, there's wine and there's cheese, and you know, like <laughs> that's that's yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That's what I mean, like it's not really, it's not really my thing, or at least like I've never been sort of told that
3: this is my kind of thing. So um, yeah, hundred percent. I I feel you on that. Um, during the during writing this book, like this book, um. Has like focuses a lot on architecture, focuses a lot mm. on, on yeah. design, on public housing design, um, because and I, I clock that same thing. How do we? How do we know what spaces are for us? How how do we? How how has that shaped what we think? Uh, our general understanding of ourselves, how the mm. world sees us, and how we see ourselves as well. Mm. How how is it that this concrete, this material? How does it play the a part in shaping um the parameters of of where we think we're allowed to exist and the spaces we're allowed access to mm,
1: mm, 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 yeah in your your poem um the one where it's like a designer's describing... oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, designer is describing yeah designer the designer
2: talks of home a resident talks of of yes. home and there's oh, like yeah. you know four or five parts to that and and yeah. we've obviously scattered it throughout the the book itself, but I mean. I, mean, I, I We want people to to buy this book, so we won't we we talk about it so much. But can you just talk about the? I um, mean, I'm more doing this for the purpose of of listeners than opposed to us, because you know we we've read it and very much enjoyed it. But can you just talk about the the rationale for doing this in in several parts and actually scattering it throughout the the book and and what you were trying to get across? Um, you know, in in that complete poem or the set of poems.
3: Um. All right, so with that. I'm I I'm obsessed with with architecture, interior design, especially. Um, and I always I always think about all the various theories behind it. Um, I was watching a series called Abstract um, on Netflix, and there's an interior designer, Linda Crawford, who the, the words are from her. The words from the designer are verbatim from her. Mm-hmm. Essentially, um, she's talking about the theory of of design, which mm-hmm. essentially is the theory of of, of people's lives, how do you want to um, manipulate people and shape their behaviors in certain spaces? Mm-hmm. Shape their understanding of of what's expected in, in certain spaces. For example, you go to you go to like the first class lounge of an airport, mm-hmm. and it's so sick. And that origin that in that uh, essentially tells you about who you are. Um, your status in society, your status on the flight that you're about to take globally as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So then when you bring that back to housing, especially public housing, what is the theories behind um, the design of public houses, especially those that are for working class people? What are you trying to, how are you trying to shape their lives? How are you trying to manipulate their behaviors and their Mm -hmm. understanding of themselves? Um, and it's that psychogeography that I was interested in, and that lies at the spine of of, of the book. So in this book, I'm talking about a community. Um, I'm talking about people. I'm celebrating them, um, talking about the fantasy and, and imagination that exists within this community, but also talking about the hard times and the sorrowful times as well. But within that, there's an accusatory question that I want the the reader to always keep in mind. Hmm. Who is shaping the lives of these people? Hmm. What is shaping the lives of these people? How is it that this is the intention of the designer, of the architect that built these spaces throughout the country who have this intention where they think it's gonna be great, they think what they're doing is going to help improve people's lives Mm. improve improve communities but then the reality of it when you actually get those people to live in those doesn't match up with the initial intention Mm. so how where what has got gone gone wrong essentially and that's sort of the reason why i um spread it out throughout the the um Actually, I can't even take credit for that. My editor suggested (laughs) (laughs) I spread it out and I was like, yeah, no, that's a good idea because essentially I want to keep reminding people that Mm. everything that you're seeing here isn't necessarily uh, as as simple as you think it is. Yeah.
1: yeah it's really interesting when i was i was just doing a bit of reading around north peckham estate um and like the first um google um search return that i got um was just like linked to this blog called municipal dreams and i was just reading about like um like the history of it and like um and and it's very interesting how it talks about the sort of quote unquote good intentions of uh the architects um about creating this kind of um you know this kind of like idyllic space Um, And it's like this kind of uh, social housing for the future where like, you know, like you mentioned like the miles and miles of like, um, like walkways where you don't need to go, you don't need to touch the road Mm. Um, and how that kind of, it started off as this kind of idyll, but then, so it was built in, I think in the sixties, but then by like the seventies and the eighties, like all the kind of elements that were sort of intended to be kind of uh, like positive ones, Mm. they kind of took on um, a negative color because of um I guess like just general degradation bad upkeep um Mm -hmm. but yeah it's just it's very interesting how because like when you know like when you're when, when we were growing up and you think about like blocks and you think about like estates and stuff like that it the way that we see it the way that we kind of experienced it is not in the way that it was kind of projected like Black, back when it was conceived you know like in the 60s yeah. it was like a very different kind of approach um to kind of like social housing and and like the concept of it but yeah like um North Peckham was supposed to be like different because it didn't have like tower blocks it was kind of like five story yeah. five story blocks instead but yeah I just thought it was like really interesting how it's kind of like the projection like the kind of intention versus like the, the reality um mm. But yeah. It's stuff.
3: It's stuff like that that leads to state state-sanctioned violence. Mm. Um, when we look at Grenfell, how is it that the intentions behind the cladding mm. was to protect the residents there, mm. but the reality of it was that it was directly fatal to 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 them? Yeah. Where what what where at what point what admi- administrative like problem happened that caused that sort of miscommunication mm. and if there isn't then it's intentional if there isn't a fuck up then it's an in, in, an intentional thing mm. Mm. sorry i didn't clear if i was supposed to swear or not on this
1: it's okay tom does it all the time so it's cool <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. um, i have a question just off the back of what um patrick touched on um so for context i, I grew up in peckham and i also grew up in warth road and uh, um so... on the ellsbury estate actually so when i, yes. I saw a couple of references to it so on the book yeah. i was like gave me a little um nostalgic moments. But um by the time I was like going out by myself or like with friends or whatever, um, the North Peckham Estate had actually been knocked down. Mm. Um and I was wondering just because so I'd only ever known North Peckham Estate as like I've only known North Peckham without like the whole the block in it really like yeah. that. Um and they kinda of built these what I thought were actually quite nice, like three-story, um, like three-floor houses, mm. um, because I had a friend from primary school we used to go visit, and I thought his house was like banging because mm. it was like three bedrooms and it's like the three floors and everything. Mm. Um, and I was wondering, like, the, of course, the estate was was not down, but the people still stayed in the area, and with you talking about the, how the design can influence the the kind of like lifestyle and how people see themselves and how they interact with the space Mm. how do you feel like when the estate was knocked down and people kind of were now in these kind of like um attached house and etc in north peckham do you think that had an effect in how the community was
3: after that happened if that makes sense yeah um those houses that you're talking about so i'm we moved into to one of those houses as well it was like a nice two-floor um uh what do you call it what three floors? yeah three floors four bedroom house uh which was sick we had a garden for the first time and in in my perception of like what i guess the shift in perception was like yeah we're in a better situation but then the reality of everything like still comes back you still have other elements that reinforce your idea of like um or reinforce some of the old perceptions so on a physical, on a physical level, it was nice to like be in a space that that was different and that was better on a I guess on a actual like physical level. Um, mm-hmm. But there were other conditions that still existed. Low-income housing still existed. Um, our, our income didn't change because we got moved into these houses. Um, there was a better sense of uh, there, you would think that there was a better sense of community because i thought there was going to be a better sense of community but there wasn't necessarily because a lot of people what we didn't see at the time was that this regeneration was actually just the first the first initial step to gentrification so like mm-hmm. you, know, you move damilola taylor had just died just uh, like he damilola taylor died which led to the cat, which was a catalyst to knock down the estate and build all these new houses but when that happened, so many people moved away from Peckham generally, mm. which meant that, like, you kind of lost half of your community or a good chunk of your community. Mm. And Then you had, like, all these other people moved it, moving in, which was the real first initial wave of, like, gentrification. And then you're also in a space where police haven't changed their beat. If anything, mm. when the old estate existed, you didn't see police walking around in and out in and around the estate because it just wasn't a place for they just left it alone. Now the presence of police was more apparent because you would see them like driving past your house which you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. You'd see them walking down the road. You would just see them in and ar- in and around that whole area, like from there across Burgess Park into like your bits, like Owlsby bits, you'll just see the patrol of like TSG vans just there yeah. anyway. So in one sense it was like, all right, cool, our situation has improved. We get to sleep in our in, in like our own rooms and stuff like that. But there were other elements that kind of still let you know you were still from ends. And plus yes. it, there was a lot, there was a lot of stuff going on in Peckham around that time anyway. So so it didn't necessarily feel that different.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of like thinking that in a sense, but it was really good to hear you articulate that. And mm. just now, you touched on two themes, which was like gentrification and then also like police harassment. Mm. And um, I read thirteen, um, mm. and that really stuck out to me because, firstly, I think the first time I was stopped and searched probably was when I was thirteen, mm. um, and I think that's an age where you kind of you're not really perceived at least as a, as a black boy, you're not really perceived as a boy anymore to mm. some extent. Mm. Um, and you're seen as I, I actually, I saw a piece of research I think is is based in America, but I think it still applies here where people generally see black boys as four years older than they actually are. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're kind of like seen through the light of like an older teenager, like a really young age. Yeah. And, I think for me the first time i noticed that was because i've been stopped and searched in so many different scenarios and like in school uniform in my own clothes in croydon in peckham in on my block like just so many different scenarios and um i think related to that is this and, and you on touching on a few different poems was the whole idea of like the loss of your innocence as a black boy mm. um can you just touch on that a little bit
3: yeah so thirteen, unfortunately is a true story um I was the same officer in my primary school. So I got stopped. So one day I was walking home, I got stopped by a set of police officers who said I fit the description of a man who did a robbery in the area, but I was 13 years old. So I was like, I'm not a man, how can I fit that description? On top of that, the same officer, um, two years before, before this incident had come to my, my primary school mm. to give a talk. And, you know, like a motivating talk, you know, you can do anything you want, the future is ahead of you, you're the brightest stars, all Mm. of that jargon there. So I was like, I remember you, you was in my primary school two years ago. How can I remember you coming to my primary school two years ago if I'm a man? Mm. And that was the, the conversation that we had that, led to my arrest anyway do you know what i mean so <laughs> well. from, from there i think from that moment on moving forward it was like, all right cool there's a uh the the i guess the time we're allowed to be infants the time we're allowed to be boys is is drastically cut short um when you're black do you know what i mean generally across the board anyway we've seen the media when someone is seventeen or sixteen, they still refer to as a man. When a white boy has done something in the media, they are still like infant infantilized, mm-hmm. yeah. um, in one way, shape, or the or the other. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I just think it's a global condition. It's a it's a it's one of the pillars of racism. One of the symptoms where we we're just never allowed to to. Be as young as as we as we actually are. Mm. There is a sense of innocence that we're not afforded. It's ugh, innocence is such a complicated word in general, anyway. But in in the loosest sense of the word, innocence, um, it's just something that isn't isn't present. Um, yeah, it's I don't know. It's something that I guess we both we both know. It, it's, I don't know. We've just grown up with it. It's so normal, normal to us that mm. um, it's part. It's the it's in the imagination of whiteness to for us to not be seen as children because it it alleviates them for from from any moral obligation to to humanize us mm. or to to take pity or mm. to to be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah.
0: Yeah, and um, just to touch on the other parts, it is it is kind of linked. I think that a lot of these themes are linked in, in general. But when you were talking about um, when North Peckham Estate was knocked down and people from kind of different backgrounds, etc., was moving in, mm. um, you you touch on that in like a couple of different poems, which I thought were quite pertinent. And one element of that was um, how white middle class Britain and mm. I'm talking about the demographic that I've changed Peckham to, to what it is at the moment. And, um, it's funny. Mm. When I DM'd you this morning, I was mm. looking at the trending topics and I saw Peckham was trending. I was like, "Bro, that's, that's mad. Like mm. Serendipitous because obviously I know your background and what have you. Mm. And I, mm. I clicked on the, tweet, the video uh, the, the thing. And I'm just seeing bare white people, yeah, playing cricket on Peckham High Street. <laughs> and I'm thinking, bro, this would never happen Ten not even like to be honest. <laughs> Peckham's a bit weird where it's like I think with Brixton, it's they've they've experienced gentrification a lot earlier than Peckham yeah. has. Mm. And I think the way it's worked in Peckham is that it's still it's everything's still meshed together. Yeah. Like, can I in- can I
2: actually ask you on that like very quickly about Peckham? Because when I was young, like I had an auntie that lived in Peckham, right? So I only used to go for her. Um and, uh, and my cousin, but I, I was always under the impression that there's a isn't there a place called Nunhead which is next to Peckham? I always got the impression yeah. that's kind of a nice, yeah. a little nice spot right next to Peckham. Is that right, or am I just like, yeah, yeah? From
0: from, which from is my, what you get pl-
2: people playing cricket in that. You know what I'm saying? Like people probably, you know, just in that little spot right there, kind of thing. Mm.
0: And Dulwich as well. Like yeah, a, yeah,
1: it's right next to Dulwich.
0: Mm. Yeah, there's certain nice pockets. Even within Peckham, there's nice pockets. Like mm. there's there's a, there's like certain roads where you can find like million pound houses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. There's like a very like bustling arts and do you know what I mean? Like mm. there's there's always like like beautiful pockets of every um, and I say beautiful, but I mean like like a certain like more affluent. In in a
2: everything. relative context, you know. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm.
3: Exactly. Yeah. I went but, um, past there yesterday, and yeah, go on. No, so yeah, I was I
0: think my whole thing was just gonna be around like the interplay of like white middle classness in Peckham and like the original um and I say original but yeah the, the kind of black communities within Peckham that formed the majority at one point. Like you you talk about how um in uh I think the first poem in the book, I forgot the name now, like, Barta, that was yeah. it. Mm. Like white British people of a certain age and demographic, like love the black working class aesthetic. Mm. So, you know, in, in bar is yeah. like, okay, cool. I'll give you the, like our fashion and mm. our music and all these things that make us like attractive to, to people. Mm. But I'd rather just be able to walk the street and not be harassed or like mm. Mm. live in a nice house, whatever the case is. So like more general questions, like how do you think that interplay between the new new Peckham and Old Peckham is playing out now?
3: The new Peckham is such an interesting space. I don't even know how to I don't even know what to think about it. Some days like something happens that shifts my idea of of the process and I'm like, all right, cool. Ultimately I'm I'm more concerned with the structural um like what are the structural things that have allowed these people to come in and move how they're moving? Um, more than anything, it's the, it's, the, it's the disregard of the community that existed before. It's the um, oversimplification of their lives, reducing it to like these tropes that serve them, uh, that serves their like voyeuristic uh, intentions or voyeuristic fetuses. Around like living in an in in close proximity to like culture or, mm-hmm. or stuff like that, which, which jars me. And also their disregard for the safety of the people in the in this area. The, a great example is the the video you were talking about, um, of like all these white people playing cricket in, in Peckham, Peckham High Street, which was originally the the people who play I was there yesterday going past and I was like, the last time me and my brethren was like um the last time we saw that, it was a bunch of Asian dons. It was the Khans uh, who have like a shop on, on Peckham's, like one of, the, one of the longest standing shops there, who played cricket there one day because it's now like a pedestrian walkway. Wow. Um, so they played cricket there one day. And from that, it's turned into white people coming there in that space to play cricket because they saw that happening and they've come in their droves during the pandemic because they because generally the people who seem to have the biggest disregard for for like the safety of of people during this pan- pandemic I'll say it with my chest so whoever wants to fight me over it I'm ready is middle class white people so it just it, it just it just reinforces just generally a, a pattern of behavior that has stretched back for years now of of um of black people of white people coming into spaces um not policing their imagination um policing the general existence of people who live who have the same right to live and has been living longer than than they have in that area uh, mm-hmm. which is it, it stems back to colonial um colonial culture <laughs> um so yeah man, I don't know. It's 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 exhausting, isn't it? It's mad exhausting oh. because it, it doesn't seem it doesn't feel like the only people who can actually just chill out are the people who are the perpetrators and they have no intention of of doing any of that of being uh of just, just deep in their the footprint that they leave in oh. these
0: spaces mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 yeah it's a car car I was I was slightly sugared when I saw that I was like what's what is going on it, is, it was really funny though <laughs> that like, the
1: response underneath the video from like different um, demographics because it's like um, the sort of sinister element that we can kind of see which is like indicative of how gentrification works mm-hmm. it's completely lost on 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 other on other demographics like mm-hmm. a lot of the comments that I saw um, we're sort of like, oh, you know, like it just shows how like the communities all come together and everybody's like, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, well, there was a community there before, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, but it's just, I feel like if, if something doesn't include um, white middle class people, um, um, it comes across as exclusionary. Yeah. Um. So it's yeah. like, yeah, if we're not involved, then how can it be inclusive? And mm-hmm. I feel like that yeah, is, um I feel like whenever you like, so for example, the guy, the comedian, um, Nabil that's on Britain's Got Talent. I don't really watch Britain's Got Talent, but like his stuff is now like sort of coming up on social media a lot. Um, and like the responses under like the stuff that he's talking about, um, it's like, because he's highlighting, cause basically his comedy is all, I don't know if you guys have seen what he's done, but his comedy is all about just kind of, um, highlighting the ridiculousness of how like racism works in this country and, like just stuff that we know well but like because he's highlighting it people are saying that his comedy is very very sort of divisive and exclusionary <laughs> and it's like yeah. it's very interesting that you say that because so many people can relate to what he's talking about but because it doesn't in- include you um it suddenly become this exclusionary thing and i just, that's just something that i found like it comes up a lot and it's I guess for want of a better word fascinating
3: yeah fascinating I mean, during <laughs> during Ramadan, like when 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 Eid came, it mm. was like, all right, cool. Nah, this is a blatant disrespect to the safety of the public. Whatever, whatever, it's mm. gonna lead to a spike. When there's a block party by black people, or mm. mayhem breaks loose. However, yeah. there's a bunch of white people doing cricket, and mm. everyone's saying, "Oh, this is amazing." Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, the double standards
0: are very, very good. Yeah, mm. Caleb, um, if I
2: can sorry, Quaker, you're gonna say no, something? I was, gonna,
0: oh, no, yeah, I was gonna ask a question, but I, you you I've been chatting. Right. I, I just want <laughs> No, I just
2: wanted to um I guess just hone in on a couple of um specific um poems and, and one that kind of struck out to me and, and actually to to Bilal as well, who he mentioned this a bit earlier on when we were talking about this was um and it's probably one of the most interesting title, that owed to South London Gallium. So, and, and I've looked at the notes at the back and, and so I want to know, does your woman crush Wednesday? Has, does she now have a copy of this? Because um, in the notes you say, this is for your woman crush Wednesday. And then following on from that, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, Caleb, I'm really sorry. And then, but, um, but you know, you start off by talking about October being a strange month and, and why? So what, what's the, obviously we, well, the listeners know who it's for now, but can you just yeah explain that that poem and and why and what's October got to do with anything?
3: You know, you know me. I love love. I love that. You get me. If there's one cliche thing about about me being a poet is, uh, it's too sweet, man. It's such a sweet thing, and um... <laughs> love <is> <laughs> <laughs> You know, what it is South London. I think there's something I don't. I, maybe I'm being biased but i've I've been about in London to sort of understand I just think there's something about south London uh especially the women in south London that just is so unique <laughs> it's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's a flavor that you just it, it that just hits in it for me anyway yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so i I always find myself drawn like always like if if i anytime I end up in a relationship it's usually with someone from south um mm-hmm. which is which is mad um but yeah my my um my thing about October is i seasonally autumn is my season, I think there's something beautiful about autumn aesthetically, and also it feels like the new year to me, like September because of school and, and like, I don't know, education has just always made me feel like September, October. is like So, so a,
2: as in like new year, like cuffing season kind of new year.
3: Cuffing season, uh, financial <laughs> new year, like all, all the new years. You get me back to gym for the winter, uh, all of that. Like it's, it's October, the sunsets in October as well. You can't be slept on. October mm. has beautiful sunsets as well. So um, to me, like, it's a thing where, like, you just can't. Yeah, you just, you just can't. I, 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 just needed to generally give a shout out to to South London, wherever it's in the water or wherever it's in the food, um, that <laughs> is just, you know, producing, uh, th- you know, this this sort of demography of of, of women. <laughs> I just <want> appreciate <laughs> that first of all, and then, um, yeah. I, is it is yeah. there
1: actually is there an ode to South London women in in the book?
3: or will it be in the sequel i should be in it <laughs> i mean yeah galdem is galdem in so it so kind of, at the age that at this age now it's like you know women obviously definitely not <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah man I, I yeah love is a beautiful thing mm-hmm. I, I love it i love to indulge in it um when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, oh my god, easy mm. for landings. But mm. <laughs> <laughs> I always go back in, always. Oh, and I think that's something to to celebrate. Um, celebrate. I really wanted to 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 have moments in this book that I celebrate. Um, just celebrate where, where we are able to celebrate one another, celebrate black blackness in in all its forms. I'm um, at my, my WCW's out outchair and living well and um, yeah man shout out her, man, shout out, shout, man. Out.
2: shout out her, presumably her name's not Tasha by the way
3: no, no. <laughs> <'Cause> you, <laughs> you're gonna have to
2: <laughs> no because at the start, at the start, there is a poem when you mention yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I shout at Tasha as well. You get me because I, I, I always think when you know that you know the, the conversation of like honey traps and set up chicks and, and stuff mm. like that. I always think that personally. I think um, the the biggest corporates or the or the person who gets vilified the most in those situations. Are, is the woman that's that's been involved with a girl that's been involved in a situation, mm. and most of the time there isn't a conversation about 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 that and the implications of that because usually it's not it's not really the involvement of the of the of the woman is very minimal or mm. it's very like it's 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 too easy to just blame mm. um, put the blame in that way and there's no conversation about conflict between men between boys mm. also there's no conflict about like the involvement of of um of like what do you, what do you call it of uh when you're developing as a from a, a boy a pu- puberty, puberty. Puberty, rah, that word. <laughs> <laughs> also, puberty, like, there's there's certain risky situations that I took when I was younger, like, going to Link Girl in Brixton, mm. knowing mm. that mm. I shouldn't be in Brixton mm. because this is just the nature of the situation that I'm living in. Mm. However, puberty is saying, fam, trust me. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> <You'll> be <laughs> <laughs> or you just say, oh, no, my
0: auntie lives here or whatever the case <laughs> is. <isn't laughs> <it? laughs> <laughs> that is funny, man. As as um a fellow South London and also like as a man that married a South London girl, like a man I'd like I definitely
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> But um it's interesting, yeah. <laughs> it, it, now that we're on the topic of women, yeah, I did like that theme in a lot of the poems. But you have a, a poem called Chirps, yeah, and um is like for me what i took from it was the fact that it made me think about when i was younger and the way we objectify yeah women in it like Mm. you don't really talk about them in their full capacity you're talking about them through like their body parts in a way Mm. um and it's weird i think it's often i've kind of grown out of but at at times i do see myself saying like or hear myself saying oh that thing or like do you get me just Mm. certain Mm. times i'm like raw but in fact, it was my wife that said, "What do you mean by ting Like, is she and do you know what I mean? And I had to kind of like stop myself and say, "Oh, raw, yeah, okay." Mm. But to me, that's just the language that we use growing up. Mm. Um, but yeah, can you just talk a little bit, and I open up to the you know everyone that's on the on the call and everything. But like that that whole uh objectification, um, and in this is a in a strange way, it's kind of like a fetishization within our community because yeah. we, we, I think there's been a conversation around when white men in particular fetishize um, black women but in some aspects we kind of do that ourselves within the thing so like I just want to open it up for us to to chat about.
3: Mm. Yeah the the poem was a converse, was I'm glad that this is happening because this is in my head, this is what the poem I want the poem to do, be a conversation starter amongst us men about how we 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 see um our women, how we refer to them, and also the, the fetishization that exists um, within within that sort of conversation, within that discourse, um, and holding mm. ourselves accountable um, for it outside of the involvement of, of women. Because I think it should mm. be, uh, of black women. I think it should be us that that holds each other accountable for that. Mm. And um, I'm in the same way as you, Quaker. I've definitely been in that sort of like frame of mind and sometimes I catch myself saying like ting or this or that, do you know what I mean? And and having to unlearn that and recognizing that that's a, a, a big journey. It's not something you can just do overnight.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right that about the fetishization, um, the, that reductive um, thing where we dehumanize our women. Um, who very much also exists within our households. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Which is the most bizarre thing um, that we never stop to to deep generally. Um, but yeah, so I'm 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 glad that it's it's the poem has done what it needed to do in in terms of open up this conversation. But it'll be good to hear from someone else how how sort of they see see about it.
2: Yeah, man. I think I think I don't know. I think yeah. Growing up, it was. Yeah, you hear you hear certain things like oh my size or you know that's the classic. Uh-huh. You're my size. Um and then yeah, you just I think when you're young you're almost programmed just to objectify and women. And there's also that element as well of you don't you're, you're you you do not know what your body's doing to you in terms of hormones. You have got these raging hormones and all these growth spurts just making you yeah, like you'll just see you see front and back, and you're like, "Wow!" Do you know what I mean? And it just yeah, 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 just makes your 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 jaw and other parts of your anatomy drop as well. So you know, <laughs> no, it's, no. it's, it's really young. Do you know what I mean? And you're going through puberty and all of that, and everybody's exploring the growth in their bodies, and all of a sudden, you have you go from. Yeah, and then you're like, wow, and then you start, you know, you do the the ten post ten PM phone calls of the babes, and you know, as you're getting tired, your voice just drops, you know, and and, and, yeah. and, then, and so it is kind of a weird, um, it is a weird time growing up actually, and it is sort of, yeah, it is it is weird, and I do remember kind of, yeah, sometimes just talking to girls and objectifying them, but actually, the weird thing I do remember as well is the few times. I remember when I was young I've just like just tried to try to properly because I speak to some of the older like, oh, I like this girl and I remember actually it was one girl I'll never forget her name I won't say it on, on here but I remember this girl I really liked her and I thought oh, I'm just gonna have a, a chat with her so I went to speak to her just normal just I don't know what I don't I don't know if I asked her if either we could do homework together or get McDonald's I was 14 by the way just yeah. something like that yeah and it was just completely like all above board and that no objectification. And the next thing I know, I'm coming to school, everyone's just teasing me. What, well, you like this girl? You want to wife this girl? I'm like, I'm like, first of all, how do you even know? Mm. But it was, again, it was conversely to what we're saying to this, it was more just approaching someone in a, in a quote, mature, unquote way. This was when mm. I, I was 14, by the way. So, I, you know, that no kind of was... No judging man. Yeah. <laughs> that was seen as well. Do you know what I mean? So that was kind of you know, that was a weird thing for me as well, because clearly in the way that we objectify, they also I think women objectify um, us as well. Except like They don't, I feel like they don't talk about it as much, um, so to speak, mm. you know? And so we were just more vocal and sometimes a bit more, but you know, I remember in school, some girls would just be, touching up my bum or something. And I was like, if I did that, no, it's be in a lot of trouble. So it was, mm. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not countering it and saying, oh, actually it's not, you know, it was, it, it's not just men. Obviously there is a problem, but mm. I found that, I think it's more a function of when you're that young, mm. right. It just is, I almost think it's like your body can't control it I. but I do feel as you get older and you become more, as a man, you have to condition yourself to grow out of it and be like, I'm actually a man now, do you know what I mean? I'm not trying to, mm-hmm. I'm trying to actually, one, not objectify someone, two, not move in a pervy way, so to speak. And then, yeah, so that, that was kind of how I saw it growing I, up anyway, so.
1: I was just going to follow on with what you were saying, Tom, because um, like a lot of that I agree with, but I think I'd go beyond that a little bit more and say, because obviously um, what you say about puberty and how we kind of, how our behavior changes and how our urges changes, Um, and that 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 occurs for I guess for both um young men and young women um but like for me I think one of the hallmarks of kind of the sort of like the masculinity side of it is how it's sort of attached to kind of like I guess like degradation and violence and I know that sounds Mm -hmm. like very Mm -hmm. heavy but um for me it's like I, I remember when like if if you were saying that, like, oh, you know, you like this girl, blah, blah, blah. And like your elders, whether it's your cousins or your friends, like they would watch how you would kind of refer to them. And if you were like sort of showing too much kind of like tenderness or, you know, I like her because, you know, she's a, she has a really nice personality or, you know, she like something that's um a more holistic than, oh, she has a nice bum or she's got nice breasts or whatever. It was almost like, "What are you doing?" Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like, why you, why are you like? To the point where it's like, you'd be like, "Oh, are you gay?" Like, what you want to hold yeah. like, out? Why do you want to be that? Don't you want to just be like, "What's wrong with you?" So I feel like, um, no, I had
2: you this know, actually, what the time
0: really was. Is was you're with, a sweet boy. That's what they yeah, were saying. You're,
2: yeah, you're yeah, a sweet boy. Because I I remember something as well. Like growing growing up, so I remember when I was I was going out with this. I remember I was going out with this girl and I remember for a long time, I was trying to wait till a marriage. I mean, I, that hasn't, that hasn't happened. But anyway, for a long time, I was trying to wait till a marriage. Anyway, I remember, I can't remember how I was definitely in my teens, my late teens. Now. I want to say like 18, maybe 19 or something like that. And I remember like a girl wanted to have, or a girl I was seeing dating at the time, and she wanted to have sex with me. I'm like, no, nah, I'm I'm just no, no, no. And it was more because I was actually really trying to wait till marriage. And next thing she's like, oh, you're gay then innit? And I was like, well, no, I'm just trying to mm. I'm trying to wait till marriage, innit? Blah, 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 blah. And it was perceived that way. And I'm like, hold on. So I'm not trying to I'm 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 trying I'm I'm trying to live my way in a uh, my life in a quote righteous unquote way. At least that's how I perceived it. And I'm being mm. completely ridiculed. So I get the point completely, to be honest. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you
0: know. I guess it just shows that we're, we're both perpetrators of the whole toxic masculinity thing. Like, it's not just I mean, is 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 a thing that exists and everyone's aware of. But we're on both sides. We perpetuate it, just mm-hmm. maybe in different ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, yeah,
1: obviously, like when it comes to any kind of oppression, there is an internalization of that oppression by the oppressed party if that makes sense so like in the same way you know black people can be agents of white supremacy I think Mm. there is there is like there's a similarity there but I feel like obviously you know the the issue is like the kind of the 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 group that has the power that has the hegemonic power Mm. I think it's really important that you know we recognize that we kind of we kind of have to pull that down in the same way that you know it's not down to us black people to kind of like bring down white supremacy if that makes sense like really it should be white people doing doing the work on that but um yeah it's 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 it's, it's funny like just just thinking of thinking back to like you know like your first crush as, as a as a as a young adult I suppose or a, like a teenager um and how it's kind of like the tenderness is almost kind of beaten out of you in this in a similar way yeah. that like your your innocence is is kind of taken away from you um by how you're seen in society as a as a black boy as well so it's like the the expectation for us um as black young men or black boys is is low already so even like for example like in your case tom like you know you what what your your sort of position on sex at that age is not kind of in the kind of accepted um, yeah. idea of what a black boy should be like, because black boys are supposed to be like, you know, they're predators, not, not predators, but you know, they're, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're there's yeah. a hypersexual masculinity Yeah, masculinity. Like, they're there to be. Yeah. And mm. it's not about waiting. Like, you know, you're a black boy. So obviously, and I, I remember like in my school was quite white. And uh, I remember like learning about how black men are fetishized by white men. Like that was a very interesting mm. experience. and Everyone was like, Again, it's like puberty. People talking about like their penis size and whatever, and then like in the changing rooms, like one boy is, like, oh yeah, a bit. Pat's got a big willy, really. and then they were like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, what? Where does that come from, and why? But I like, I didn't know that there was that stereotype around black men until I found that out from from white boys. So some, um, yeah, it's it's very interesting how like we kind of we uh, there's a low expectation of us. And mm. it's almost like we internalize that and kind of just run with it. Um, and I guess it's just about breaking breaking that cycle, breaking and, that
3: cycle, yeah. yeah.
1: And and changing how the language that we use about first of all ourselves, um, and then also um, black women as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. But Caleb, thank you. Like that. That I, f- I felt that piece was very important to have in there as well because it's like something that we, um, as black men, we don't talk about enough, and I feel like we don't take seriously enough and we don't unpack it enough as well like we can highlight it there's a problem but it's mm. like what 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 are the roots of those problems and it's only until we can find the root of that issue that we can kind of s- sort of start to address it and fix it so mm. yeah large at yourself caleb thank you for that man appreciate it man appreciate it and then and,
2: I'm, oh, no sorry i was just gonna because i there's so many poems and so many themes that i just want to explore but they're, they're maybe, there are two more that i want to explore but cuz we're talking about kind of nice um not nice but kind of nice in depth kind of um topic here. i want to kind of just continue that and kind of go an, uh, an, another leg on with that there is there is a kind of a painful theme in the book about um the loss of life as a as a as a black man in london and you you know you mention um Lola Taylor you mention Mark Duggan and Rochelle Charles um and you put that you know sporadically through the um, the book, those poems were at right? the book. And, and I just want to ask, you know, what was the, I don't want to say the thought process, because I think we all understand the thought process, but kind of just, you know, how did you decide to talk about these situations in particular? I think Taylor, that's very clear, but the, you know, um, Mark Duggan, for example, how, how do you decide in, 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 talking about these? Why do you bring it to, to the table? Um, yeah, just, just talk a little bit more on it speak on it a bit more.
3: I I think that that when we look at the loss of life, um, the loss of Black life, there's never a conversation about um, about the circumstances that has led up to that. Um, it's always about the 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 act the act of death and the the reaction from the community about that. So when Mark Duggan died. There was a whole lot of conversation about about rioting about looting and about all of that, but there isn't nobody followed it pathologically backwards mm. to its source. Do you know what i mean what do you, what happens when somebody dies in this country we're still we every year we still mourn all the people who have died um who have been white. We still mourn that we more, we stand up in our classrooms. We do silences for world war one, world war two. We do this, all of that kind of stuff. So when we lose someone in our community, that could have been any one of us. Where, like, where is the space for us to grieve? Mm. And also after a while, when we keep losing ourselves to systematic um, systematic system issues, and systematic uh reasonings and and uh states when we look at like the four or five estates that exist right now in the world in terms of like the police the judicial system the this the that all of that kind of stuff who do we hold accountable when one of those pillars takes one of us do you know what i mean how do we grieve on a on a state level how do we Grieve against the state, against a faceless um, killer, because that's what the state is, right? Mm. Faceless. We talk about the police officers, but it's not about the police officers. It's about the state because it's a state state um, sanctioned action. Yeah. Um. So yes, yeah, so I, I wanted to. I, that's the question I kind of wanted to answer. That's that's me accusing the state, accusing the government, accusing the media. Of looking at the wrong places, asking the wrong questions, mm. um, and not focusing enough on what's important. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to me, it's just grieving, man. Let us grieve. How is it that you feel like you can kill one of us, and we should then, you should then dictate how we grieve about it? Mm. Do you know mm. what I mean? Mm. Especially when it's like linked to other systematic issues as mm. well. When mm. it's linked to low income. Mm. When it's linked to poor. Um, poor mental health um, services, uh, poor youth services, poor school services, all this kind of stuff. It's mm. all linked together. Yeah, so yeah. The, for, for us, it's like, for me, it's like, look, the, the community needs to grieve, and should be allowed to, to grieve. When we lose Damian Ola Taylor, it's not about, let's not focus on who, who killed him. Let's not focus on how the community has reacted and and how to keep the the community docile mm. um, and contain their grief. Mm. Let's look at all the things that has led to this person's death. Yeah. Um. Mm. And I and I and I kind of wanted to do that because I felt like the media has failed to do that. Police mm. inquiries have failed to do that. Yeah. And of course they're going to fail to do that. because yeah. They're part of mm. the problem. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Mm. It's um.
0: Gone. So you're not Patrick.
1: And no, I was just going to say that um. You know how, what you mentioned about um how we're sort of expected to deal with grief like that. Um, and how we're just sort of just expected to take it. Like, for example, I think it was two nights ago, I was just watching ITV News and um, they were talking about the Kevin Clark inquest. Um, and they, like, they just showed the footage of him as um, he was, yeah, as he was being detained and um, restrained by police, which that those actions eventually led to his death in custody. But it's like, I, I was watching the news and it just, like, they just started showing it as if, like, there wasn't any kind of warning. That, I, I don't remember there being a warning because I was watching the news of my sister and then suddenly I'm seeing, you know, Kevin Clark struggling on the ground and, you know, crying out and it was very, very traumatic. Um, but it's like, how is that just kind of okay? Like, do they not think that this is going to have an effect on, like... And, and the other thing is also like, cause it should have an effect on any, anyone, anybody that is like, you know, human should feel horrible seeing something as visceral as that. But I I, 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 I don't know. It sounds bad, but I feel like maybe not all people are affected by it. And it's only really black people that are affected by black death on TV. For other people, it's just expected. Like it's just, it's just, yeah. um, and that sort of docility that you mentioned as well, Caleb, like, I feel like that again is like part of that. It's like a way to kind of desensitize ourselves from mm-hmm. from from our own our own destruction, our own death. Mm-hmm. So that it's like so that we won't we won't get angry about it, and eventually we won't have this visceral reaction where we're revolted by it because it's like we we're just you know it's 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 a normal thing. You know, another black person has died. This is this is what happens, and. Mm-hmm there's and, and life goes on
3: because I, yeah I, you're
1: right there's no remembrance there's no you know minute of silence there's no instead we're here arguing about whether you know um the person's i don't know indiscretions during their life it was is enough of a reason for them to be killed by the state do you see what i mean it's like yeah there's no dignity in our death and it is um it is yeah it is it's is very uh I, I've, I don't even have the words
0: no <laughs> exactly yeah yeah Is with uh one thing kind of came to mind was like the whole five stages of grief right mm. and um you have the denial anger then there's that bargaining depression etc um, and then finally acceptance but i don't feel like we're given the opportunity to go through all five of those stages like mm-hmm. we might have the initial denial like i can't believe this has happened etc but when it happens at the frequency it has done the number of like deaths Um, at police hands or just negligence around you know when when deaths happen in our community um we we can't have the denial part we kind of go straight to anger now because we're so used to it Mm. and then the bargaining stage is is kind of fruitless in a sense because like you're saying patrick there's Mm. this what seems like a lack of empathy um on on the sides of like the people that have power um which is yeah it's just it's just mad but um I was going to say something related to, to what you were saying as well, both both you, Caleb and Patrick. Um, and one thing that sticks out to me from the poem Magic slash Violence, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that I got from it was the, the idea that when you are, can, when you're the victim of society, right, and societal ills mm-hmm. is, is is sometimes difficult to articulate, like, why you're in pain and why you're angry and Mm. how it links in with the wider systemic issues, right? Mm. Um, And I found it interesting because you're, like, I can't remember the exact wording, but essentially the idea was, like, I can show you through my wounds, right? Mm. Um, Because it's like a lived experience. Mm. Um, And a lot of other sections of society, right, they kind of see these things in a very academic way. Like mm. there's this whole thing of like, oh, you know, lived experience isn't um, isn't fact, like anecdotal evidence can't be, you know, and, and I get that as well from the scientific perspective or whatever, but like it kind of discounts and is, I think it's part of the reason why there's the lack of empathy. Mm. But then you have certain figures like an Akala or like a Jules the Poet or even yourself, Caleb, like where you're able to articulate these issues in a way that large society can understand and i think that's partly the reason why um i think we hail up people like akala and people like joltapot so much because they can like um speak to our experiences in a way that maybe sometimes we can't um and i was just gonna ask that do you feel like a certain responsibility to do that given you know your your I'll put it as power with words and,
3: and what have you to articulate our experiences yeah yeah i i I feel responsible to that nobody has like thrusted that upon me i've kind of thrusted it upon myself because it it's it's difficult to um it's difficult to just stand by and watch the media have this like single narrative about 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 my community do you know what i mean about about all of us i think for me um if 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 we could speak and say our versions of things and and try to speak and try to like um yeah i guess own our own narrative shape our own responses to to issues and not have everything said through the mouthpiece of of whiteness um is important so i f- I, f- I feel like I feel like essentially, like what our responses are so difficult to to communicate because they 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 cut right down to the core of our ourselves, our spirit, our like soul. Do you know what I mean? It's so mm-hmm. difficult to the the sort of violence that we experience when I say violence, I mean more than just physical violence. I mean, the, the, the violence of racism in general um, is so deep-cutting that it goes beyond uh, comprehensive, comprehensive words. It's, mm-hmm. it's an emotion. It's a feeling that you feel, and it's hard to articulate. Um, and every time you try to articulate it, it's a, you fail in, in, in doing it because it's never exactly how you feel. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you explain that? do you know what i mean how do you explain um certain experiences it's difficult and only only by living it um can you really 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 grasp it but i think the job of a poet is to try and try and um, rise up to that challenge um mm-hmm. for your community speak for them but also like speak to them like I can't articulate this feeling to white people. I can't articulate it to the rest of the world. However, I can articulate it to you and let you know that I'm trying mm-hmm. more than anything. I think I think more than, like, that's kind of what I'm trying to do half the time. When I'm not able to articulate it to white people and to especially white middle-class people, then I just turn back to my community and say, look, this is the thing that I'm trying to say to them but I know it's not fully the thing. I know that it doesn't really capture it all the way, but we both know, like you, we all know what I'm trying to say in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what that poem is is trying to do. It's trying to like explain that feeling of not being able to communicate this thing, Um, but it's a bit of a sticky one still. (laughs) Like we get that, (laughs) do you know what I mean? We, We understand what that means. We understand that like there's a failure in trying to communicate this deep-cutting emotion that sits at the core of us.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's super true. Family's got the um, and is I mean, I'm glad that there's people like you and like people like a Carl and people like whoever that can that take up the mantle of doing that, and I think is really important because otherwise it's just it's just something that is is in your head and is in your in your spirit and you carry it in your body and it's just like sometimes you need someone to be able to express it outwards outwardly in in a in a way that's like less because when you're angry like obviously there's that 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 instinct to just kind of like to explain physically in a way which Mm. is good for your own it's cathartic in a sense but like sometimes you need it it to be articulated in a way where um broader the society that like, understands like this is do you know what I mean? This is an issue.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um Patrick and Tom, I don't know if you have any any other questions to ask, like for now.
2: No, I'm 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 good still. Um actually no, I got I got I got a really um I got a really really quick one that's just um what's your top five that
3: are alive, Kayla? uh As in top five dead or alive in what category? Music. Oh, music. Oh shit! Let's do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> top five. These
2: man is a favorite of mine. So, question, just just as a, as, as a nice way just to yeah. to round it off. But yeah.
3: Top five dead or alive. Um, naturally have to give give gigs. Um, a top five because <laughs> just because of like the se- sentimental reasons. <laughs> sentimental yeah, reasons. There's definitely an argument for like, not having gigs in your top five. And I, and I would definitely agree with that because I don't think necessarily he's the top five, top five of all time. But mm. for me, he is.
0: Yeah, bro, he um, got the South London national anthem. Exactly. You, you get me? He you got like, bro, every time that stream comes on, yeah. Bro, I put my hand on my heart.
2: I put my hand on my heart. Even I do it, bro, when I was East man
3: yeah so i'll, I'll give one to, to gigs um i'll give another one to and this might be a bit premature um all right so disclosure all my top fives are are really personal but i know that if we're talking like technical or we're talking about like lyricism or we're talking about performance anything like that album wise i know that they might not necessarily fit into those top fives but
2: mm. my it's calm bro it's personal yeah. it's a personal thing man. yeah
3: cool so the, the other person is styles p um sp the, the, yes, the yeah. ghost <laughs> 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 <Jada Kiss.
2: laughs> <laughs> you know what i was gonna say just saying because you keep talking about like experience and living off experience mm. and i was thinking see i thought you must have listened to the locks grind up yeah. because like d block and that because i can see like you're writing with like Jada Kiss punchlines in this book. Sometimes yeah. I was thinking, bruv, does this guy like the locks? <laughs> is what I had as an impression earlier. So I, right, I get it. The styles P, yeah. yeah, I understand yeah, that. I understand the
3: locks that. definitely. Um, all right, cool. So one, two, and then I'll put I'll put Dipset in there specifically, Cameron. But Dipset as a as a movement, uh, is uh number f- they they also on there. I'll put Justin Vernon, who is like uh, i don't know if you heard of a band called bunnyver uh i'll put i'll put them there that's number 4 number 5 Oh, number 5 is a tough one man um i would say probably frank frank ocean i'll put i'll probably put frank there um He's, he's he's got me through some some nice times still. Can't lie, his music his music has, has been there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the backdrop of a lot of romantic moments. You, you get me, you get me. Yeah, I
3: got I got to put Frank in there, but I might I might also might have to put Mavado in there. Mm, Stronger, yeah, just for the the rejuvenation yeah, of, of my spirit. You get me? Um, yeah. J- j- Thinks. I'm trying to think of like, you know, when someone asks you that question, it just, it just like, it just. Also, can I put Rihanna in there yeah, just for being Rihanna? <laughs> <laughs> bro, you've already come up with your five. You're doing, You're now doing honourable mention, And not just like obviously, <laughs> you get me. I know musically, like I, I rate Rihanna definitely musically, but just for being Rihanna as a as a whole movement of a.
0: Just, I, I hear that. Still... Yeah, 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 I definitely hear that.
3: Come, yeah, your top five is always a mad.
0: It's always a mad question, man. It's but we man. love asking it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, man, bro. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, man. Yeah, man. Um facts, I've I've facts. I've followed your your journey for some years now. To be honest, like I remember some of the the spoken words uh, events and stuff. I come through with Joseph yeah. And, that, and yeah, definitely. yeah, man. So Appreciate seeing that growth, it's been amazing, bro thank um, you man thank you yeah so f- thank you for that um everyone just just a personal um recommendation get get paul get the book by Caleb femi paul is is an amazing book um if you're from london if you're from ends it's gonna hit home in a lot of ways and if you're not you're gonna learn something so i'll, I'll put it that way but, when does um,
1: when the book drop
3: Caleb? uh the book drops 5th of november okay yeah. Remember remember the 5th, 5th of November. Yeah, oh, wait, 5th, 5th of November. Yeah. It's
0: <laughs> <Hey. laughs> <laughs> a symbolic day to drop
1: anti-establishment. Yeah, right. Let's get it. Let's get it.
0: <laughs> Thanks, let's get right, it. Kelly, do you just want to you want um plug your socials and stuff. Where can oh, people yeah. find you?
3: Um Instagram Caleb Femi, caleb.femi and um Twitter Caleb Femi underscore. Yeah. Cool. Lovely, lovely, lovely. All
0: right, cool listeners, thank you for tuning in. Um, if you want to shout us on all socials, we're OTB Podcast UK. If you want to give us an email, we love emails. Love hearing what you guys think about our guests and about the topics we cover. It's OTB Podcast UK at gmail.com. Cool. So we're signing out. Yeah, man. Everybody have a good week.